beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves, and the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. Each episode has a prompt or a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to a friend, or share on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. A year or two ago, I posted on Instagram that summer is supposed to be this really free and fun time of year, and it's often really hard for a lot of people. It's a little bit like the holidays. Like there's so much joy in the holidays and celebration and also expectation and extra to-dos that often fall to women. And yeah, it's a great time for memories and we can get a lot of joy from those seasons. I hope that we do. But acknowledging that they're also hard can be helpful. Summer is that way for me. It's a little bit different than the holidays, and it's also three months long in general, but it has kind of the same expectations. It has sort of a hope around it at the beginning that it's going to be the best season of our life or of the year, but also our rhythms are thrown off. You know, our routines are different. If you're a parent, suddenly you have kids at home maybe all day. If you're a work at home person like I am, you're trying to juggle family and social life and maybe a travel trip or two while also working because work doesn't totally stop in the summer for almost anyone. So it's just a lot of emotion 
couched in hopefully good weather and vacation picks and all of these things that we put on the summer season that just don't always live up to the actual reality. So I posted that a couple of years ago and it got a huge response. A lot of people, you know, agreed with that sentiment. Not that it's the most original thing out there. It's just one of those things that, you know, maybe isn't shared a ton, especially in the moment. And I also knew that I was pulling on some threads from my past. Three of the hardest times of my whole life happened to have been in the summer. These were years apart. Sometimes it was just logistical. I got dumped one spring and had a terrible few months after that, which happened to be this summer. And then 10 years ago, I had what I now consider to be probably the lowest point of my life thus far. 10 years ago, the summer of 2013, I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old. We were a couple of years out from the sudden and unexpected death of a loved one. We were a couple of years into a devastating diagnosis of a different loved one. We were in a mental health crisis of yet a third loved one, all the while also trying to hold tight to these years of having little ones and the beginning really of our family life, three years old, one years old. If you're a parent, you know that those are truly the trenches. You are sleepless. You are hormonal. Toddlers are hard. Every task from, you know, going to the grocery store to any kind of travel to just, you know, day-to-day life is a lot more complicated than it was pre-children. And there's all these messages to savor the moment, carpe diem, you know, be present. I felt a lot of pressure, like a lot of young moms do, to make the most of this time when really in this time I was absolutely drowning. And this particular summer, things came to a head for a few different reasons. One was my husband, Jeff, was making a movie. He was making a movie that eventually became Bad Grandpa, and he was traveling to make that movie. So I was solo parenting for much of that summer with these little kids, and one of those little kids had decided that he was not going to sleep anymore. Sleeping through the night was for the birds. It was not for him. And so I was absolutely wrecked mentally, emotionally, and physically. And two other things were happening in the background of this summer. And we're going to get to the crux of this episode, which is therapy. But the other thing that was happening in this time was I was at our lake house while Jeff was making this movie, and I was primarily alone. I didn't have a lot of family, you know, coming to visit or any help. And for just, you know, a fluke of nature, because this was not common at all. It rained that summer for 21 days straight. It flooded around our home. It brought out all of the critters from the lake and the woods, this rain, this flooding did. And so I kid you not, when you walked down the back steps of the house, There were literally snakes that I could see 
kind of in this few inches of water. It had just flushed out all of these animals and critters. And I am not exaggerating when I say it felt apocalyptic to me. Now, this was pre-pandemic. This was 10 years ago. I was in a different space, but it really did feel like I was going a little bit crazy to barely be able to leave my house. There were many days when my car couldn't get out of the driveway because, again, these rains and this flooding. So I was at home with these little kids. And then to have like actual fish and snakes swimming around our deck, I just could not deal. I just could not deal. It was like, I'm telling it sort of funny now, but it wasn't funny. It was truly very stressful, very mental and emotional. And part of that was because before we had gotten to the lake for that summer, earlier that spring or sort of the beginning of the summer, I had started therapy for the very first time. Now this I have written about. This is a story that I've told a few times, but it bears repeating here. I was on a carousel, like a children's, you know, merry-go-round type of thing at the park here in Los Angeles, in Griffith Park, if you're local. We were doing a beautiful park day. Me, Jeff, our two little kids, we'd taken them to the carousel. And everyone was laughing. There was this fun music playing along with the ride. We were going around and around. It was a sunny, gorgeous Los Angeles day. And I could not stop crying. I could not stop tears from flowing down my face. And we were on this carousel. It was going kind of fast in my memory. It is sort of a fast ride, that particular one. And as we were going around and around, and my little kids were laughing with this joy on their face, and I was such a disaster, on that ride on that day, I knew that I had to get help. I had to get some outside help. I was really falling apart. And literally the next day, I reached out through an acquaintance to get some numbers for a therapist, and I I called a therapist for the very first time. So I've told that story because it illustrates a few different things that I want women to talk about. One is that you can be in the most beautiful, wonderful circumstances, and you can still be in a crisis. It also sort of illustrates that like, if you're in what seems like it would be a beautiful moment with your family or whatever your circumstances are, and you can't get there, that that is not always you. That is not a failing of you. That is mental health stuff. That is hormones. That are all these things that can be tied together. I was certainly going through all of that. And it was just a real turning point for me and in my life to start therapy. 10 years ago, I was 33, 34. I had been dealing with a lifetime of anxiety that I've talked about. I have lots of reasons and lots of regret that I didn't start therapy before that time, but better late than never. And it was truly a pivotal moment, you know, in my whole life and has changed the last 10 years for me, which is what this episode is about. I want to share with you 10 things about 10 years of therapy, but I wanted to give you that background. I wanted to share with you what was going on in my life because it's going to come up as I talk about these 10 things. 
that before I got to the lake and a summer of solo parenting and the snakes on the deck and all of those things, before I got there, I had started therapy just a month or so before. And this matters to the story and to what we're talking about, sort of just because of the the timeline and the kind of space I was in, what my life circumstance looked like at the time, because I was glad to start therapy and that it felt good to get some help, actually. After a really long period of struggle, it felt like I was putting one foot in front of the other to relinquish some of the load that I was carrying to a professional. So that part felt good. But it was also tied into a ton of guilt and shame that I had around needing help in the first place. You know, I'm a privileged woman in every single way. And at the time, I really beat myself up for not being able to pull myself out of this funk on my own, while also on the other side of it, I beat myself up for not getting help earlier. So that's a two-edged sword that doesn't make any sense. I also felt like I had no reason to be sad or hormonal or distraught or weak or any of those things, even though I have just laid out for you that our family was going through some stuff, some real stuff that causes a lot of emotions. I gave myself no grace for that. I felt like because I had a beautiful, healthy family and resources or finances that I was not entitled to need any kind of help. And that was an absolute lie. First of all, of course it was, but it was a real factor in how I felt about not getting help before I did. And then even after I got it, feeling like I was a failure in some way. So there's a few other pieces of this story that I want to sort of get out here before we get to the 10 things. One is because it always comes up when I talk about therapy and and what this journey has meant to me. One is how do you find a therapist? Another is, you know, did I get on medication? A lot of people have a lot of questions around this if they haven't ever done it. And so the answers to those questions are going to be different for every single person. There are lots of barriers to getting therapy. Actually, there's a lot of obstacles. A huge one is finances. Another one is region. If you live somewhere where this is not readily available to you. Another is just the logistics of finding someone. When you are having a hard time, the act of trying to find someone to help you, it feels too overwhelming. There's too many steps. It's too vulnerable to ask someone. Like that's a whole obstacle that is really hard to get around, actually. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later in the episode, but there's a lot of barriers and obstacles to those first and early steps of even getting the help once you have decided that you're up for it. For me, my story is very simple. I had a therapist acquaintance friend. She was actually a fellow mom in my mommy group. I happened to know she was a therapist just in our chatting. I had her email from, you know, mommy group communication. I cold emailed her. I mean, I barely like knew her name. I said, I am struggling. Do you have any recommendations for therapists in our neighborhood? Because this was a neighborhood mommy group. She wrote back with three different names. She was very kind. She didn't pry. She was very, you know, professional about here are three well-known or 
well-respected therapists in our area. Sometimes it's hard to get in to one of them, so you can try all three. And one of those worked out for me. If I had not had that particular resource, I probably would have asked my doctor, my gynecologist, most likely, or my pediatrician, who I've also talked about this topic with. I would have asked them for recommendations. I am a big fan in all medical or mental health situations and asking the doctors who they go to or who they know and like, who they hear good things about. That's a wonderful and underused resource, I think. It's Los Angeles, so there's a lot of therapists. I certainly could have asked friends who they saw. That's not my first choice. Wouldn't have been then, isn't necessarily now, because I have no problem admitting to a friend that I need to go to therapy. But I maybe wouldn't have wanted to see the same therapist my friend saw on purpose. You know, so that might have been my third or fourth step if it had come to that. But as it happens, I ask a therapist acquaintance. I got into one of the ones she recommended. There are other ways to find therapists that might be a little more anonymous. Psychology Today is a resource that lets you filter by types of therapy and region and I believe qualifications and other sort of filters if you're looking for something really specific. And then I also want to say, as I am going to talk you through these 10 things about 10 years of therapy, is that I'm just talking about traditional talk therapy. There are so many different types of therapy, and I just want to be you know, clear that I was going to a talk therapist. I've been seeing the same one now for 10 years. I do employ other types of therapy in my life, massage therapy, you know, some physical therapy. There's been other types of healing and help that I have reached out for over the years, some of which I've talked about here in terms of movement and mental health and you know, lots of other things. But for this conversation, what I want you to hear and what I'm sharing here is I'm talking about cognitive behavioral therapy with a licensed therapist. It was a solo journey for me. It was not couples therapy, although I'm going to mention something about that in a bit. And also in a move that I now think was a little bit of a mistake, I did not reach out to my doctor for medication. I can see now that I would have greatly benefited from it that summer and beyond. That is not the choice that I made at the time. And so I want to be upfront about that. I do not believe I will ever go through as dark a period and not make that a very important option. I am for anyone getting the help that they need, including those type of interventions. But this show is absolutely not a medical show. I am not any kind of a medical professional. This is my complete anecdotal experience that I'm sharing with you because I believe it's important to share these things. I wrote a whole book about sharing your stuff where I, yes, also talk about therapy, but also because there's a lot of questions and stigma around this topic still. And that's why I like to talk about this every now and again. And I realized this summer that it had been a 10-year anniversary. And I like to mark milestones in this way, especially when I look back and think of all that has happened in 10 years, not like logistically happened, but how far I have come. And I think I would really be in a different spot if it wasn't for therapy. I truly credit going to therapy with one of the biggest things of my whole adulthood and bringing me closer 
to who I want to be in life, in making me a better wife and parent and friend and writer. I think it has helped in my career. I think it has even more importantly helped in all of my relationships was learning a lot about myself, seeing patterns, learning to see from another perspective, and getting professional guidance from someone who has no motives or interest other than seeing maybe the healthiest version of myself. And we have very few relationships like that in our life, right? Like everyone that we talk to, even if it is a dear, dear loved one, a spouse, a best friend, a family member, they might really want what's best for you, but everyone else always has like their own ideas of what the backstory is or you know, their own motivations. I don't say that in a negative way. I just say that in a factual way that every relationship that we're in has complications that while the therapy relationship isn't completely uncomplicated, it is a really different way of having guidance and fulfilling your own growth. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over five thousand distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Okay, so here we go. The 10 things about therapy I want to tell you after 10 years. 
Number one is the reason that you go to therapy might not be the reason that you need to go to therapy. So hear me out. I've just explained to you all the things that were going on in my life in 2013. And it was a lot. It was a lot of different sort of disparate things that were culminating in me not doing great. And we'd had this incident on the carousel where I couldn't stop crying. And that was like actually a physical reaction. I physically could not stop crying, which was a cue to me that something was really wrong. And that was a valid reason to call a professional. And also, one of the reasons that I was convinced I was having such a hard time, and one of the reasons that I sort of gave myself permission to seek out professional help was because of this family member that was in their own mental health crisis. So I had a family member that I loved very much who we were very, very concerned about. And that was a big source of stress because, of course, it was. And so without looking at some of these other big picture things and without looking at my own hormones or my own history, to be perfectly honest with you, I had dealt with my own mental health anxiety and stuff. I had dealt with it up until that age of 33 and felt like I was doing fine, but it was these outside circumstances that were really causing me to crumble. I really thought that. It was really hard for me to admit that there might have been something going on with me. Again, it could have been out of my control, hormonal or, you know, a a chemistry imbalance or something. But it was so hard for me to admit at the time that it might have been something inward. I had to blame it on something external. So one of the earliest things that I talked about in my you know, first few sessions of therapy ever was this loved one in crisis and how concerned I was and how stressful it was to deal with. And that was valid. That's a valid thing to talk about and even to start with. But it became pretty clear, I mean, abundantly clear within just a few sessions that there was a lot more to unpack with me, just me, than some of these outside circumstances. Sure, I was concerned about my loved one, totally. And now I can see like, well, if that's what got me in the therapist chair, then who cares? Whatever got me there is what matters. But I can see now that that was just a mask for all the things I needed to deal with with me. I was funneling all of my deepest fears and all of the things that would come to unravel over the next few years, I was funneling it into care and concern for someone else because that's often what we do. I don't care if that's the excuse you need to go to therapy. I don't care that that's what my story was. I can see it a little more clearly now, but all that matters is that I went. It still goes back to the number one thing I'm trying to tell you, which is the reason that you go might not be the reason that you need to be there. You might go because you have stress at work, because your marriage is in trouble, because you have profound sadness, and those are completely valid reasons to go. And then once you're there, you might start to uncover all of the things that led up to those external things becoming such a stressor that it is requiring professional help. There were many steps that came before that, right? And those might 
start with you. In fact, they probably do. So that's number one. Number two, it gets harder before it gets easier. So for all the reasons that I just explained about why you might have started going in the first place, as you start to really unload some of these other things, it's going to get rough. It's going to be hard to talk about some of these things, to face some of these things, to tell a total stranger parts of your past that you have kept under lock and key for maybe decades. It's going to bring up a lot of yuckiness that is going to show up not just in the hour that you're actually in therapy, but that it's going to show up in your whole week. It is maybe going to make you weepy. It is maybe going to make you angry, grumpy, moody. It may affect your sleep. It's one of those things where you think, why would I keep doing this? It's like taking medicine that's making you sicker before it can make you better, which some medicine does. But you're miserable. You just want to stop the medicine. Why can't we go back to when we were numb or not feeling this thing? It's really hard when it feels so bad to want to keep going with this regimen, right? And so it's one of the things that I talk about to a lot of people as they start. Like, it might get rough before it gets better. Now, it's only going to get rough if you're actually honest and doing the work. If you are keeping your mask on, if you are keeping yourself protected and covered and numb, then you might not go through this phase or this phase might look really different. It might be a much longer journey. You know, it might involve a breaking point or an explosion instead of what I'm describing as a crumbling. I mean, using like all the metaphors here, but the fact that it gets worse before it gets better, it's just a hard part of this process, actually, especially if one of the reasons that you're in therapy is a relational one. And I think a lot of the reasons that we're in therapy are relational. Like that relationship might get worse as you're going through this thing for a long time before it gets better. And who wants to sign up for that? I mean, I almost hate talking about this part because I feel like this would make someone skittish and be like, yeah, why would I want to do that? Except you have to hear what I'm saying about what happens in the after that it does get better, that it does bring clarity. And you have to keep going through this part that's murky. Like the only way through is through. And you have to do this piece of it, even though it sucks. I cried for months because in this timeline of the summer that I'm telling you is I started therapy at the beginning of the summer. I went, you know, maybe three or four times. And then we left as we did in those days. And I went across the country to our lake house for a month or so. So I was away from my normal home and I had just started this process of like all this gunk coming to the surface in therapy. And then I left town (laughs) and not only left town, but like was in an isolated house in the woods with two babies and snakes. Like why did I do any of that? Looking back, it seems like a recipe for disaster, and it was, but that is what happened. I was alone suddenly with all of these thoughts that had been stirring up. And so if I had been weepy at the beginning of therapy, put me alone in the woods, and I was almost full fetal position because you can't stop thinking about some of these things that have come to light, and you also feel like 
or I felt like in this scenario, you're not moving forward either. So I felt like I was just sitting in it. I was just sitting in some of these early revelations that I had had in therapy and I was sad and confused and despairing. And if I could go back, I would do a few things logistically different than I did that summer. I wouldn't be alone. I would have stayed in a community where I had a lot more help and friends and all of that kind of thing. And I would have not discounted the weather as being an actual real thing. I mean, we can't do anything about the weather, but it absolutely added to my isolation and my mental health lows for sure. So don't be surprised if you have encountered this already or if this happens to you when you start that when you begin any kind of healing, it very often gets worse before it gets better. Okay, number three, be prepared to have many of your stories upended. So this has been one of the most eye-opening or enlightening parts of therapy for me on the whole. When it first started happening, it was very hard. It was sort of part of this, it gets worse before it gets better moment. Now it has led to a whole different way of really walking in the world. But, you know, in those first couple of years, yes, I said years, it was really hard. So here's what I mean by number three, which is be prepared to have many of your stories upended. We all tell ourselves stories, hundreds of stories. We have stories about who we are, what our childhood was like, what our relationships are like now. We have stories that we have created to make meaning out of certain events. We have stories that help us cope. We all have stories. Sometimes those stories are old and have become almost myth-like in our mind. Some of these stories we've said over and over to people when we're talking about ourselves or talking about our past or talking about who we are, we have worn grooves in the lines of our souls with these stories. Sometimes they're stories that make us the hero. Sometimes they're stories that make us the victim. Sometimes they're stories that, again, have just helped us get through our lives for better or worse. Like they're just stories because we're wired to make meaning out of things and to make sense of things, even when some things don't have any sense. They don't have any rhyme or reason. That's just too hard for us to accept. So we have made up these stories. The other side of that, of course, is that we have been told stories about our families, about who we are, about what we're capable of, about what someone did, about an event that happened, about cultural events, politics, religion. We have been told stories and we have created stories and those things have melded and there's nothing wrong with that. That is what makes us human. But when you go to therapy, you have to be prepared that those stories are going to be challenged. Some of our most well-worn, grooved-in stories are going to be challenged. And that hurts. That puts us on the defense or that brings us a lot of pain or that makes us like suspicious of people, which this is part of the, it gets harder as we're figuring out some of these things. Now, not all of our stories are untrue and challenging them just makes us really like dig in in a good or bad way and continue in that belief or 
see that for what it really is. Maybe a story being challenged by your therapist or in your own work actually validates what you always knew to be true. So it's not always a bad thing, but it is really an eye-opening thing when you have told yourself something very specific about your childhood or your family or your primary relationship now or about who you are at your very core. And a good therapist is going to try and help you see things from the other side. They're going to ask if the story you've been telling yourself is really true Like, is it factually true or it's just something that you've been told or something that you feel instinctively? What is this story about? And this is one of the things that we do over and over in therapy. And I've gotten better at recognizing this is just a story I'm telling myself. This doesn't make it absolute truth because this is my feeling or because this is how I perceived something. I've gotten a lot better at that. I mean, I do a whole show that sort of has that as an undercurrent, right? But when I started, I was very, well, the word that comes to mind is cocky. (laughs) Now, I don't know if cocky is exactly the right word, because again, I was in a a really dark place and I was self-conscious and insecure. I was in in an insecure place. But hear me when I say I was also cocky about certain things that were just absolute truth to me. Absolute truth about, you know, what my childhood was, you know, who my parents were, who my siblings were, what my earliest identities meant. You know, I'm a journaler, I'm a storyteller, I'm a talker. And so I had really analyzed a lot of that stuff already. You know, for some people going to therapy, this might be the first time that they've even put any sort of analysis to their life story or to their primary relationships, but not me. That's why I was cocky about it. I was like, oh, to my therapist, I'm like, oh, let me just tell you about this person or this situation. And I would tell her some kind of story or conclusion as if I were regaling her at a cocktail party. And she didn't stop my delivery of it. Like she would let me tell the story or explain the situation however I wanted. And then when it was over, she would be like, okay, well, but what parts of this aren't exactly absolute truth? Or how do you think this other person felt? Or let's look at this from an aerial view instead of how you felt in the moment or vice versa. Like she would really challenge this story. She let me be this way for a while. I don't think I'm as much this way now in therapy, but I really wanted in the beginning, this is sort of a tangent, but I think it's common. I really wanted my therapist to like me. I wanted her to think that I was smart and funny and already evolved, you know, as a person who's very conscious and who journals. (laughs) Like I wanted her to think that about me. She was unfazed. She was completely unfazed by my performance, if you will. She wanted to get to the root of what I was telling her. She wanted to examine if my conclusion about this story or relationship or situation was real or accurate, if there was another way we could think about it. And if we determined that it was as real or as accurate as it could be, then what did it mean? That is what she was uncovering with me. But it took a long time for me to get past this performance piece. 
And this doesn't mean I was always performing. Like I said, I started crying and crumbling at the very beginning. But this story piece, which is what we're talking about, I had plenty of those. I could tell her exactly why I was in therapy and I could just bawl about it and really feel like I was giving her a bullet point Cliff's Notes version of my life. And then she would just accept it whole hog that she would just be like, oh, okay, well, that's what it is. Now, she didn't ever say you're not telling the truth. She never made me feel like I was wrong in my assessment or that I was off or or couldn't trust my own intuition or anything like that. Like she believed me because she was for me, but she also wanted me to see what parts of it might not be exactly as I was describing or what someone else in the situation might think about what I was saying or or something like that. So I went into therapy cocky about how much personal development I'd already done at the ripe age of 33 and no, not in a bad way, in what became a good and healthy way. It took me down several notches to realize that I didn't know everything that I might not be accurate. In fact, as time went on, realized I wasn't wholly accurate every time about the situation or the person or the relationship. So you have to be prepared that some of your stories are going to be upended. And if you are really clinging to a certain part of your story, a narrative or an identity, therapy is going to be rough because that's part of it is dismantling some of these things that we've clung to, especially the ones that are not serving us because so many of them are not. We think that they are, especially our older stories that we came up with in childhood, that our childhood selves came up with to protect us or to build us up. When we're adults, we don't want to crumble those stories because they helped us. But in adulthood, they're not always serving us in the same way. In fact, sometimes in adulthood, they're like holding us back and therapy is going to uncover that and it's probably going to suck. So that was number Three, be prepared to have many of your stories upended. Number four, therapy is not magic and your therapist is not a magician. So you're going to hear me speak out of both sides of my mouth on this one. And it's all true. (laughs) Therapy is not magic and your therapist is not a magician. Even though actually, in some ways, therapy is magic and therapists are magicians (laughs) in, in a certain sense. But why it's a bullet point here is that you can't expect that it's going to change your life after one session or maybe even after a year of sessions. It is not magic. It is not overnight. I can say that for sure. And therapists are also humans. So we're going to talk in a minute about when you might disagree with your therapist or something like that, but they're not magicians in that you're not going to have like immediate change in your life necessarily. Now, maybe you might, there might be some areas where it is such a relief to get this help, or you do have an early aha moment that changes everything for you. And I hope that that's true because when you have those kind of moments, when you have those kind of uncoverings and something like this, it keeps you going because you can see that it works. You can see that it's effective. But in general, I often have to remind myself, especially 10 years in, that the daily work of what you're learning about in therapy and then trying to put into practice, and sometimes it's you know one step forward and three steps back, all of those things mean that most of the time it does not feel like any kind of magic, period. The magic is in the big picture. And you can't see a big picture for a long time, for a really long time. And so it's just something to keep in mind as you're 
you know, moving forward as you're going to these appointments and it's expensive and it's time consuming and you can't tell right away if it worked or not. It's not exactly like if you started going to an exercise class every day or something and then you did see some sort of immediate and tangible change. That is not necessarily how therapy is going to feel. And we're so used to instant gratification or like pretty immediate gratification in all kinds of ways that to play a long game, to know that this is something that feeds into a big picture and is not immediate, that's hard. You have to have a level of maturity to see that and remind yourself, as I do often, that therapy is not magic and therapists are not magicians. It's a tool It is so helpful. I believe in it so much, but it is just a tool. You have to do the work yourself and you have to allow the work to work. It's not the only solution. It is one of them and it will work for you, but it's not magic, except when it is. You know what I mean? With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and, yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free. It is also pH-balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at LumiDeodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com and use code U, Y-O-U. Okay, number five. This is a little bit more of a personal story than just these other generic thoughts about therapy because... I made a list of some of the most important things my therapist has ever said to me. And most of the things that you really learn in therapy or a lot of the things that you learn, like they're not for public consumption. You're not going to necessarily share that on a podcast unless you think it's like a really universal truth. These are things for your journal. These are things, you know, for your immediate trusted circle when they're really specific kind of revelations. There's one that I'm going to share here, even though this is sort of a little bit of an intimate revelation. And I think I've talked about it only one other time, but because it illustrates for me almost like what can happen in therapy that the therapist doesn't know is going to be a big deal or that you don't know is going to be a big deal. Sometimes the most offhand comment from my therapist, not like the deep emotional work or when we're talking about something hard, sometimes it's something that she sort of says casually, you know, when we're not going that deep, that really rocks my world. And this was one of those times. So I come to therapy this day and I did not have like a big thing to talk about. I don't, you don't always have to have a big thing to talk about, but you know, most of the time you maybe have something on your mind, something you need to work through or process. Maybe 
months, taking multiple, multiple sessions as you work through one specific thing. On this day, this was years ago, on this day, I didn't really have a ton to talk about. And for whatever reason, I ended up sharing with her about a past romantic relationship that I had that had been really formative. And I was actually kind of shocked that it hadn't come up before because it really was very formative. But I wasn't feeling like a ton of emotion around it when I was sharing to her, even though like sort of objectively in my life, it's one of been one of the most emotional relationships of the whole of my life. But I was not feeling particularly emotional that day. So I was sort of just giving her the facts of this thing that had happened in reference, I don't even know, in reference to something else you were talking about, I suppose. And as I'm sharing this story, she says, kind of reflecting back to me, like, oh, so you're saying this, kind of, you know, one of the ways that she responds to me, telling her some kind of a story. And she said to me about this person in my past, she said, okay, so you loved him more than he loved you. Go on. And I was like, wait, what? Because that was not a conclusion I had ever drawn. When I talked about this past romantic relationship, I talked about a mutual heartbreak. I talked about how in love we had been. I talked about how I feel like the relationship had changed both of our lives and, you know, it didn't work out, obviously. And there was lots and lots of extenuating circumstances, but I had always, maybe as a protective measure, or maybe because this is what romantic stories tell us is common, I had always viewed the relationship itself as a mutually loving one because I would have just crumbled to the ground to think any differently. But as I'm telling her this story, and indeed, the story does end with him breaking my heart, but I was kind of thinking that was like, not a side note, that was a very important note, but I had never let myself come to this conclusion that she sort of tossed out at me as I'm clip-clopping along in my storytelling when she said, oh, okay, so what you're saying is you loved him more than he loved you, so he broke up with you, and then what happened? Because she's kind of matching my energy of me sort of, again, bopping along, talking. I was so floored by the very idea that he hadn't loved me as much as I'd loved him, which in retrospect seems very obvious. It seems like she was sort of stating a fact adjacent to what I was saying, but I didn't think of it like that. And I was so stunned. I think I just stared at her. Now, we're a long way away from that relationship, decades away from that relationship. So it wasn't that the sentence or even the idea of mismatched love here, it didn't devastate me because I was far enough away from it, but it did stop me in my tracks. And in an instant, it sort of repainted that whole relationship because of course she was right. She was a hundred percent right. Now there have been times where she has said something in a, in a similar situation to this, a similar circumstance to this, where she's reflected back to me what she thinks I'm saying, and I've corrected her. You know, I've been like, no, it wasn't really like that. It was more like this. You know, it's kind of forced me to clarify what I'm trying to say because she sort of misread what I'm saying or, or sort of misread the situation. And then there have also been times when she says something that is so honest and so obviously the truth that I'm just struck silent. And this was one of those times. 
If it hadn't been true to me, if it hadn't immediately gonged in my soul, as happens when one hears a truth, if that hadn't immediately happened, I would have corrected her. I would have been like, oh, no, he loved me. I feel equal about our love. He just ended up making a different choice or whatever. I would have sort of said like that. But when she said, oh, so you loved him more than he loved you. That's not uncommon. Okay. Then what happened? I had literally never considered that that was the narrative of that story. (laughs) I had painted that story so differently in my mind. That doesn't mean that we didn't have a mutual love. It doesn't rewrite entirely the whole entire thing. But in terms of that relationship ending, I had never let myself think of it like that. You know, when you break up and you exchange the I will always love you sort of sentiment, that's a nice way to end things. I mean, we didn't need this actually, this relationship did not have a nice ending, but just theoretically, when you end on a note of I will always love you, but this isn't going to work out, that makes sense. We can all just go away in politeness and feel happy and gratitude and move forward. But for me to really think like, oh, like in the end, he didn't love me all that much because he left. I mean, I was in my 30s and had never considered that when it seems very obvious now. I'm sharing this story because this is an example of, for me, what therapy has done to give me clarity and honesty has helped me examine these stories of my life, has helped me sort of mature and become more of who I am because I'm honest about who I was. Therapy might look different for all kinds of people. And you might go to therapy for one specific issue and never touch a different area of your life, maybe because you don't want to upend those stories. But there are also moments like this one that I'm describing that are like so mind-blowing that you remember them forever. I was glad that she said that. And by the way, she didn't know she was dropping a bomb on me because again, felt obvious to her. But it was a bomb in a way that opened my eyes to a relationship and a, a past narrative that I had really kept my eyes clenched shut around. And I was glad to see it a little more clearly. I was glad. So that was number five. Number six, you might disagree with your therapist and that's okay. So tying into that story a little bit, as I already described, she could have, you know, gotten some interpretation of it wrong and I could have corrected her. Or on an even deeper level, there might be something that is said that you're like, I actually like vehemently disagree with what you're saying. You know, if she's giving you advice or guidance or offering an opinion or even a resource or even a worldview that you don't totally agree with or align with, and that's okay. We're all grown adults in this room. And you can decide if it's a deal breaker, like it's a, you know, like if this is what her beating drum is going to be, then maybe she's not the right fit for you if it doesn't really match what you're trying to move towards or whatever. But it can also just be like, oh yeah, like we just don't think the same about this and that's okay. It's not impacting the rest of our work together. I've had two, in 10 years, I've had two important disagreements with my therapist. One was, one is too hard to explain and kind of complicated and kind of personal. Another one was, it's easier for me to share here because I think that you will totally get it. My therapist has a belief that is warranted given the work that she does, that sharing yourself on social media is not life's best choice. 
I'm sure she has, and she's told me, you know, she has clients who they are depressed because they constantly compare themselves to what they share on social media or what they share on social media is such a lie to what their real life actually is. And it makes them feel a lot of shame or guilt. Like she just has some really pretty set beliefs in the damage that social media has done to mental health. This is valid. This is very researched. She has a gazillion clients that are telling her this is true. So, you know, great. I understand her perspective on it. And also my whole work is sharing your stuff. Now, I always say that my work is not sharing your stuff online. It's not a requirement that you share yourself online. I just want you to share yourself with someone. And we had a disagreement about selfies. Isn't this funny? This was actually kind of around my one day HH challenge. But was I telling her about it? I can't remember. I don't even remember how this came up. This was also years ago. But she had these pretty strong feelings about selfies and kind of just like the look at me culture or whatever. And this didn't feel like a deep therapy moment, by the way. Like this kind of came up when we were like a little bit just like chatting. Like, oh, how was your week? Like, how was your week? You know, I always, I've been seeing her for 10 years. So I, you know, I ask her how she's doing too at the beginning of our session. And for what, so this was a casual sort of moment and she doesn't, fully know the extent of my work. It's funny. I don't talk about work a ton in therapy, a little bit. She's obviously knows that I wrote about her in my books. (laughs) You know, she knows about the podcast. Like we do talk about some things, but I don't think that she definitely didn't realize that I encourage people to share selfies. And she had this kind of like strong take of anti-selfiness. And we had like a corrective moment, if you will, like where we sort of butted heads on this thing that didn't feel like it had much to do with therapy, didn't feel like it had much to do with like me or my work, but definitely had to do with my work, didn't have to do with my inner work, you know, like my therapy work. And we sort of like, I mean, having a fight is too strong of a word, but like we we were having like an actual disagreement. Like we were like, you cannot convince me otherwise to each other. And it was sort of like a record scratch moment. It was like kind of a weird thing to disagree with your therapist about. But, you know, if you take a step back from the selfie aspect of it, she held a certain view that was against, you know, what one of my life's purpose is. You know, I mean, like that could be if you translate it to any other kind of relationship of like, if your therapist really felt strongly against something that you were trying to move towards, like it was definitely more than just about the selfies, right? Like it was deeper when I realized that she felt this way. And then when she sort of realized that this is a thing that I do, and we had like a a disagreement. Now, we didn't come to an agreement on selfies in that moment. And I don't even remember how the rest of the session went on. But since then, and not long after that, she mentioned to me that she's been thinking about what I shared about the importance of selfies and why I encourage us to post them and this kind of thing. And it had really changed her view on it. Like not 100% because she still has these other things that are informing the way that she feels about social media and selfies. But she has mentioned over the years, more times than I have, multiple times she has brought up that something that was sort of steeped in a disagreement that you can change one another's mind when you care about the person, when you respect the person, you can have this disagreement that can be fruitful it can shift a perspective or whatever. She's brought it up, this selfie thing. And 
you know, I'm using that story to talk about the bullet point of you can disagree with your therapist. You can disagree with your therapist on things that are more important than selfies. And we have. We have had this one other sort of deeper disagreement that we had to have a hard conversation around. And it was okay because it's, it is also a relationship. At this point, 10 years in, it's definitely a primary relationship in my life. If you are more on the beginning part of your therapy journey, then again, you're going to have to decide if this is a make or break issue, if the relationship is professional in nature only, and so you can put things aside or whatever. You know, I mean, like everyone can decide for themselves how they feel about this, but it is important for me to say that one of the things I've learned in 10 years of therapy is that you're not always going to agree with your therapist. And you might not ever see eye to eye on whatever that issue is. She's not going to bring you around. You're not going to bring her around or him. And that's fine. It doesn't mean like all is lost because number seven, this is why all is not lost. Number seven is growth is even better with a witness. So one of my very favorite things about therapy is that this person has seen me change, has seen me transform. Occasionally, she or I will bring up those earliest days in therapy when I thought that I was there because of a loved one's crisis, when she knew immediately that I was there to deal with me, to help me, to untangle me. We talk about or we reference how I was in that first year, really not doing well, really drowning, and where I am now in a mental health space and just in a human space. She has seen me through a lot of stuff in the last 10 years. Now, many people, most people, in fact, are not going to stay with the same therapist for 10 years. And I know that some people advise that you shouldn't even in some ways, that you might come to the end of your therapy journey. You can come to the end of what a person can offer you or help you with. And that makes sense. I'm still happily in this relationship with mine, but I could have said this to you at year two, three, or eight, let alone 10, that growth is even better with a witness. Going back to what I said earlier about a therapist doesn't have any other motives in your life. They are just cheering you on. They are just trying to get you to a better place. They are for you. And I have a lot of people in my life that are for me. Of course they are. You know, I feel like loved and lucky in that way, but they don't see my growth in the same way that my therapist sees my growth. And it is so validating to have someone say, look at where you were and look at where you are now. This is amazing. And she knows all the ins and outs of it. She knows the years that were a struggle to get there. She knows, you know, which areas I'm still working on. She knows who I was in 2013 in an entirely different way than almost anyone else in my life. And now she sees who I am in 2023. This is outstanding. Now, I believe in this adage. I've, I've shared this a lot, that growth is even better with a witness. I've shared this sentiment online. I've talked about this before. It's not unique to therapy. This is true with your friends, you know, with a partner, with anyone who has been alongside and can see how you have changed and transformed in any way. That is still amazing. But in this therapy way, 
it's just extra special that growth is even better with a witness when they are the witness because they have seen maybe the messiest parts of you. They have seen the ugliest views come out of your mouth or confessions or thoughts. And they have seen that you've come a long way, baby. And that can just really matter to your whole life to have that witness. And of course, to have that growth. Number eight, not all sessions will feel like revelations. So I mentioned this a little bit already, but it bears repeating that some sessions like the one I talked about where I was just randomly telling the story about a a past breakup or you're just not going to always come in with something deep to discuss. Or maybe sometimes you do have something you really want to discuss and it falls a little bit flat. You don't get much guidance. You don't feel like you've worked through anything. Maybe you're sort of annoyed that you spent the time or the money on this hour that didn't really go anywhere. Of course, you have to remind yourself that not every session contains a revelation. In fact, I wouldn't even say most sessions contain a revelation. In the beginning, that might feel a little different when you're really unpacking some things and you're really hearing back from the therapist in a a certain way. That might feel a little more revelatory, but you can't get addicted to that and then think that that's what it's always going to be because a lot of the time it's not. Therapy is cumulative. It works out over time. You may hear a little bit of a nugget that you just sort of tuck away in your subconscious that you don't even know you've tucked away until you know you have a fight with your partner and then you remember that thing that was said in therapy and you, you call upon it as a source of strength or a piece of wisdom something to hang on to. So even though I get that it's a bummer to leave a session and be like, I I mean, nothing happened there. Literally nothing happened there. You can't account for every moment, every dollar, every nugget that happens over time. It really does all add up. And some sessions are overly revelatory in some way, like almost like, you know, knock you down for a few days. And some sessions are like, I mean, I don't like, why did I even spend the afternoon doing that? What's happening? Do I need this anymore? Valid questions, but knowing that not every session is a revelation can sort of make you release that expectation and understand that, again, we're looking at a big picture here. Number nine, I wish that I had started therapy not in a crisis. So if I could go back I wouldn't have let myself get to one of the lowest points of my whole life before I reached for professional help. If I could go back, I would have reached for help years before that. When you get to crisis mode, it is way too hard to not only get over those obstacles that we talked about in the beginning, the obstacles of just finding a therapist and making it to the appointment and applying what you learned. That is all way too heavy of a lift in most crisis situations. If I could tell anyone this, if they have the time or you know the finances or insurance to start some kind of therapy before there's a crisis, that is so much of a better long-term way to learn from this journey. And because when you start from the crisis mode, not only is it just too hard, too heavy of a lift, there's also like just too much going on. As I already described, I had four or five areas in my life that were in full crisis mode. 
how do you even pick what to unpack or what to focus on? Now, she helped me. She guided me in that way of what we were going to focus on. But like, it just felt too overwhelming for a really long time. If I could go back, I would have started when I was in a better place, learned some tools, and then applied those tools, you know, when life got hard. It's also really hard to start something new when you're in crisis. So for example, it can be like nerve wracking to go to therapy for some personality types. I mean, it's like going to the dentist for Jeff. Like he would just rather never do that. Who would ever want to go to therapy? But I have made him go to therapy a few times with me when things were going fine. Because if we come to a point in our marriage where we need to be going regularly together. And if we did that, side note, I would go to not my regular therapist. We would go to a different therapist together who, you know, we'd start on neutral ground, someone who specializes in couples therapy, et cetera, et cetera. But it wouldn't be the first time he'd ever been in a therapist chair when we're already in crisis. He would know sort of what it's like, you know, and kind of how it's going to be because if you are starting something, this, is, this isn't this is necessarily for couples, this is in every way. When you are starting something new, it's easy to put it off or cancel or not want to do that work because of all the other hard things that are going on. I've made Jeff go a few times just so he kind of knows what therapy is. So if and when we have to go together because we're in crisis or there's a crisis, you know, in our life in some area, he can't just be like, no, that's too hard. He will have already sort of practiced, if you will. I wish I had done this for myself individually. There have been many times in my life prior to me being age 33 when I could have benefited from therapy, but even from like a non-hard time season that I'm looking back at, even if I had just gone just to like learn some basics, maybe to have that relationship already in place. So I would have someone to call upon because again, it's it's very hard to find someone new when you're struggling. So that's one of my biggest regrets that I didn't start earlier and that I didn't start with a little bit more of a, a home base place instead of starting from a place of drowning. That was hard to claw myself out of. It would have been harder to claw myself out of it without help, probably would have taken longer probably would have numbed out and ignored and not dealt with some of the things that that hard season forced me to deal with. I probably would have just stuffed it all down and marched forward. That wouldn't have been as healthy for me. That wouldn't have been as fulfilling to my overall life. So anyway, that's number nine. I always include it when I talk about therapy because I feel like people feel like they have to be in crisis to start going to therapy. That's the other thing. They're like, well, there's definitely some things I could work on, but like I'm not in any kind of a crisis. So it feels like it shouldn't be worth the expense or time. Everyone has to make that calculation for themselves. But if you are sort of therapy curious, or if you have some things you could work on, but they don't feel like therapy level working on, to me, that's the best time to just kind of start and, and build that relationship or kind of build that muscle is when you're already feeling all right. Believe me, in the long run, it's better than starting from a place of drowning. And then number 10. Number 10 is therapy has given me language, validation, strength, and more. I'm sure that you've gleaned that throughout this entire episode. But going to therapy 
has changed my life. I didn't know that I needed someone to hear my stories or my conclusions or my struggles and give me some validation that they were worth having, that I wasn't crazy or drama or making something up. A lot of times we reach for that kind of validation, sometimes with the right person, sometimes with the wrong person. Like we might call someone or talk to a friend or someone and say like, God, this happened. Like, am I nuts? And they kind of give you some validation and you move forward. And that's that's great. I'm all for that kind of affirmation in friendship of like helping someone to believe what they feel or what they see. It's different to get that validation from a professional. It really gave me some self-confidence in a time of insecurity for someone to say, I, I see what you're saying. I believe you. I hear you. You are a smart, capable person. And if you have come to this conclusion, there's probably something behind it. You know, I needed to hear that from someone that wasn't just trying to appease me or who didn't just love me and wanted to like get the conversation over with, but someone who was really like actually objectively hearing me and seeing me and believing me. It really changed my life. Not just the validation part, even though I'm harping on that here because that really matters to me, but unpacking some of the things with a trusted therapist that I would have never let myself unpack. And maybe you can go a whole lifetime and not unpack stuff that you've locked away in a vault. Maybe you don't need it. Maybe it doesn't serve you. Maybe you are best with who you have become and you're leaving all that stuff in the past. But for the majority of us, Life will flow more freely. We will be truly who we are in a better stance when we have opened those doors and seen our past for what it is instead of living like we're numb or we have secrets or those things are holding us back or we hope no one ever finds out about those things or we don't want to closely examine some of the things from our past because it's going to hurt, then it takes a lot of energy to stuff it down. It takes less energy in the long run to face those demons and then leave them back there. Therapy helped me do all of that. It's not the end-all be-all. There are other ways to evolve and grow and face our past and be our best selves, like all the things. There are lots of ways. Therapy itself isn't the only thing that has helped me in the last 10 years. I've talked about how after I started therapy, I started Pilates like within the year and that those two things combined, body movement, a mind-body connection that I had not previously had at all, along with the talk therapy, you know, that was sort of a magic combination. I like reading self-help books, listening to self-help podcasts and like doing inner work, journaling. Like I like those things. So for me, this was all something I was not only willing, but eager to work on and work towards. And I know that that's not true for everyone. That's why I wanted this episode to sort of cover a lot of different bases on, you know, different personality types. But for me, even someone who was already introspective, who was already leaning towards personal growth, like sort of liking that genre, liking walking in the world in that way, I was already that way and I, A, still fell all the way apart 
and B, still really benefited from an outside guidance, a therapist. I would love to hear your experience with therapy. I would even love it more if you shared this episode with someone that you could talk about it with, shared it with a friend, a spouse, someone that you could then talk to each other about what therapy might mean for you or what it has meant to you. This show is meant to foster connection with ourselves and with each other. And so what that means is I want these to be conversation starters. I've shared my experience here, my thoughts on it. I hope that it has sparked something in you that makes you want to talk about it with someone else. And if that is true, I hope that you will share the show or just put your own thoughts down on paper or on social media because mental health, therapy, how we've grown, these are things worth talking about. Thanks for listening, friends, to my 10 thoughts on 10 years of therapy. Now go share something. You've just listened to an episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. For show notes and links, go to 10thingstotellyou.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. And you can also join our free connection group on Facebook to discuss episodes and topics. For bonus content, ad-free episodes, and monthly Zoom gatherings with me, join my Secret Stuff Patreon community by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. Thanks for listening. 